sorry about that. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 44, Psalm 44. Before we get to the message, I want to say what a privilege it is for me to be able to be here and in the pulpit here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Uh, Brother Montoro has been a good friend to me. He's an example to me as far as uh, pastor goes and preaching, and I admire him greatly. Uh, we have a very close mutual friend in Larry Clayton. Uh, Larry Clayton speaks very highly of the church. He's actually going to be out, uh, or excuse me, Mrs. Clayton's going to be out in our church in a few weeks. We have a young lady that was saved in our church. Uh, it's a great story. I, I don't have time to go into it now, but uh, I'll give you the, the, the short, short version. She overheard one of the ladies in our church witnessing to someone else, and that person had no interest, but Olivia did, and she said, excuse me, can you tell me what you were telling her? And she invited her to a Bible study, and uh, she came, and a few weeks later the Lord saved her. Well, in between there, uh, she met um, Isaiah Males. It's Jim Males' son. I don't know if you're familiar with the Males family. It's Larry Clayton's son-in-law. They're missionaries up in Nova Scotia, and uh, they're, they're, they'll be married in the beginning of June, so Mrs. Clayton will be out here for that. And um, they speak very, very highly of the ministry here. And I also want to tell you, thank you. Uh, your church has helped our church, uh, not just in prayers, but also financially, uh, as we're out there on the east end of Long Island in Riverhead. And the Lord has been very good to our church. We've, I feel like we've just started getting spiritual traction. Um, you know, we've had, we've had really good, uh, positive physical blessings financially and numbers and all that attendance, but. Uh, we've had uh, the most people saved in the last few months than we've ever had since we began five years ago. Uh, we'll be baptizing two more in the, in, in the next couple of weeks, and so that makes six total just in two months, and we're very excited about that. So thank you for praying for us, and uh, I, I wanted to make a note, the brother, uh, brother um, Dave, is that who's just up here? Brother Dave? Okay, you, you noted it was Mother's Day on Sunday. And my wife told me, we have two daughters. We have a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old. And um, she said, Josh, listen, I, I, I know, listen, this year is fine. I don't want you doing anything for Mother's Day. Don't get me anything for Mother's Day. And I told her, I said, I'm not going to do that. That would set a horrible precedent for Father's Day. <laughs> right? Anyway. All right, Psalm 44. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the privilege it is to open your word and for the privilege that we have to assemble ourselves together. And Father, it's a freedom we still have in this country. I pray that we'd be good stewards of it, that we would not take it for granted. I pray you'd bless these dear folks who came out in the midweek service. I pray you'd bless them for their faithfulness. I pray you'd protect the Montoro family and those traveling with them while they're away. For whatever the uh, need is with Brother Remigio, I pray you'd meet it. Uh, Father, what a blessing he was to our church, and I pray that, that the needs would be met in Christ and that you'd, you'd touch him or bless him. And Father, I pray that you'd continue to bless this church and this ministry. I thank you for the good spirit and the, the good folks that are here. I pray, Lord, you'd allow me to uh, be a blessing to them tonight. I pray that something I would say from your word would be a blessing to them and an encouragement. And Father, we will be quick, we promise to give you the glory for all that's done of any worth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 44, the Bible says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us, what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old, 
How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise Thy name forever. Selah. But Thou hast cast off and put us to shame and goest not forth with our armies. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy and they which hate us spoil for themselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat and have scattered us among the heathen Thou sellest thy people for naught, and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger All this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten Thee, neither have we dealt falsely in Thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from Thy way. Though Thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death, if we have forgotten the name of our God, our stretched out hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For He knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for Thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake! Why sleepest Thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest Thou, excuse me, wherefore hidest Thou Thy face and forgettest our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for Thy mercy's sake. This is a tremendous psalm. And I know that many of you have probably read it before. But you've read just in these 26 verses that there seems to be a roller coaster, as it were, spiritually from the psalmist. This is not something that's a testimony only. This is not something that he was just writing down in a journal what you have just read along with me is a prayer. This is a prayer to God. Matter of fact, it was given to the chief musician. This is something that they wanted to keep, not just preserved for the Lord's Word, but preserved for Israel and all those that would hear it because there's truth here. And I think that if you had uh, read through it, you might agree with me that this seems to be very similar to our Christian lives. Now realize in context, this is speaking about Israel. 
Uh, we, we, didn't, weren't, we were not given the land of Canaan. We know that was for the children of Israel. But I think you'd agree with me that, that we have some similarities, though we're not Israel. There are principles here for all of us, especially for God's children. He says here in, uh, in verse number 4, Thou art my king, O God. And I think you'd agree with me that our king is God. We have a king t- uh, as well. When we were saved, we were not given complete freedom. We were brought into the family of God, but we were put under the lordship of Jesus Christ and we serve God continually. Our chief aim, uh, the, the Bible says that in, in Ecclesiastes, the, the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep His commandments. He's the king and we are His subjects. And so we have a king and God. And we have enemies, just like Israel did. That's just part of living here, maybe more in New York than other places. We have uh, the, uh, the ability to obey, just like the children of Israel did. But here's the good news. We also can have faith, just like this psalmist has. He says in the beginning, in the first eight verses, We have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days. And it's encouraging to hear what God has done in the past. I encourage you to read your Bible and see how God blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Samuel and how He worked through even men of frail character like the disciples, like Peter and James and John and what He did with Saul of Tarsus and what He did with Philip and what He did with John Mark and having Him write one of the Gospels and Luke the physician writing a Gospel and writing the book of Acts and seeing what Philemon was like and how the Lord was working in his life. There are great things we can look back on. We move past that and you see Obadiah Holmes and our church history and through Christian history, Shubal Stearns, men like this, even Larry Clayton or Roy Thompson or Pete Montoro in the city and how you look back just a few decades and you see a, a man with a burden and, and not, not much else, but yet God works through him and others to bring up and raise up a church in the middle of a story of Queens. That's God doing that work. That's something that we ought to be, be, be praising Him for. And so it's a joy that we can look back and see what God did in the past. But what the psalmist does is this. He says, I remember in verses 1 and 2 and 3 what you did for them. But in verse 4, he shifts to the present tense and he says, but right now you are my God. I know that you were their God, but right now you're my God. Command deliverances for Jacob now. We need to see you work now. And so verse 5, he says, uh, probably one of the most uh, beautiful verses in this psalm, through thee will we. He does not say through thee might we or through thee wish we or through thee possibly maybe be. He says through thee will we. What will they do? They will push their enemies. He says here, we will push down our enemies through thy name. We will tread them under that rise up against us. If you look at this and you've read your Bible and you understand themes of the Bible, another way of saying through thee is saying by grace. And another way of saying will we is saying by faith. Through thee. We, we cannot do it apart from God. Jesus in John 15 was not just saying something for saying something's sake. He was not trying to exaggerate. He never looked at an archangel and said, you know, I never should have told that to my disciples while I was down there on earth. What he said, he meant. And when he said, without me, you can do nothing, that's exactly what he meant. Without Him, we can do nothing. 
And so before we get to the will we, we must understand it is always through Thee. It's always through God. If there has ever been anything done at Open Door Bible Baptist Church that is worth mentioning, it will be to God's glory and praise, not to man's. And if there has ever been anything done at Community Baptist Church in Riverhead, New York, that's worth mentioning, that's worth praising, that's worth repeating, it is because God did it, not because we did it. We need God's grace through Thee. Aren't you thankful that God fights for us? Aren't you thankful that our victories are not dependent upon our personality or on our strength? If the work here in Queens or the work out in Riverhead was dependent upon our strength, we would be in trouble. But it's not dependent on our strength. It's dependent upon the Lord and His strength. And through Him, we will accomplish things for His glory and for our good. I praise the Lord for that. We cannot trust in ourselves. We must flee from any temptation to trust in ourselves. Past victories are important, and we ought to praise God for it. But here's what this psalmist does. He understands that what God did in the past, He can do again, and he is faithful. He says, I'm not going to trust in my sword. I'm not going to trust in my bow. I'm going to need to use them because I'm not in cruise control. It's not through thee will you, God. We're just going to sit back because whatever you've determined to do, you're going to do it, and we'll just sit back and watch it happen. No, it's through thee, but there's God's grace, but there's also the faith of his children. Will we? We're going to do something. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is Jonathan as armor bearer. You might be familiar with this story where the Philistines have, have completely outnumbered them thousands to one. And Jonathan is by himself as armor bearer. His Saul is under a tree, a pomegranate tree, just sitting in the shadows, perhaps contemplating how it came to this end. But Jonathan knew something. Jonathan knew that God did not say that Israel be wiped off the face of the earth. God, promised, God gave promises to Israel, including a, a, a future king. And Jonathan looked at his armor bearer and he said this. He said, come on, we're going to go. It, it may be God will work for us. Here's why. Because God, this is what Jonathan told his armor bearer. God is not, and I'm paraphrasing, God is not limited. He is not limited to save by many or by few. He, what he tells his armor bearer is, God is able to save, whether by many or by few. But whether it's by many Israel, is, Israeli soldiers or whether it's by two Israelites, God will do the saving. And he takes his armor bearer, they go, they, 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 um, they, they kill an entire um, uh, 20 Philistine men, and it causes a great scare, a concern, and you know how it goes. The same thing happened with Gideon and the Midianites. They end up killing each other, uh, leaving, and God gives a great victory. What did Jonathan say that was so important? He said that was something that you and I need to remember, that it, it may be God will work for us, but we have to be active in our obedience. And so I praise the Lord that God gives us victories, and I praise the Lord that He's our King, and I praise the Lord that our strength, our, our strength is His strength. But I also know this, that He gives us strength not to sit. He gives us strength to serve. And that service is involved more than just 11 o'clock on Sundays and 7 o'clock on Thursday nights. 
It's out talking to people, individuals. It's passing out tracts. It's witnessing. It's evangelizing. Through thee, will we reach Queens? Will we reach Astoria? Will we start another church? And I, I think as a, just as a young church planner and young pastor, I look at your church and I see what you're doing in Brooklyn uh, with Brother Newberger and up in the Bronx with Brother Remigio. And I think what a, what a tremendous example of what a church ought to be doing, reproducing itself, reach, establishing lighthouses in the New York City area. But listen, you have a lot of years ahead of you here in Queens. And you ought not get comfortable with what you're doing in Brooklyn and in the Bronx or even here in Queens. There's, there's cause to keep going and continue to be excited what's happening here at this church. And you ought to continue that the same as the psalmist did. But quickly on, because that clock is moving fast. So we have to as well, all right? So for all the positive things that he says here, he says... I know what you did in the past, but I need you to do things now, and I know you can do this. But then he looks around, and he sees the condition of Israel. He sees the condition of the state of him personally. He sees what's going on. And he says in verse 9, But thou hast cast off and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. Have you ever been where this psalmist is? Where you know what God has done in the past? And you get excited every, every other Sunday or so what God can do in the present. But then by Tuesday, you're already overwhelmed by what the news says or by what your coworker is doing or by what your boss just informed you of or whatever the current event is. And suddenly you're wondering, why, why are the enemies prospering? Why are the heathen allowed to, to be blessed? And yet I struggle and yet I'm not advancing like I thought I would. Our church is still struggling why do we have these financial problems? Why aren't people being saved? All these things that, that weigh us down. The psalmist was being real. He's just looking at the situation. He says, but look, Lord, I know you've done all those things, but here we are now. Why? Because he's being honest. But here's what is the most important thing for you to remember. He understands that God is the one who let it happen. Know this that nothing enters your life as a believer apart from God allowing it. Not one time has an archangel had to fly to the throne of God and inform him what's been happening with his children. Not one time has God not been aware of a situation that, that you fell into or, or what fell onto you. Not one time has God been unaware of that. Jesus in John 15 calls God the Father your husbandman. He's the one who takes care of the vine. Sometimes that means uh, 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 cutting back and purging the vine. God sees. God knows. My wife and I went through a very difficult time a few months back. And I was talking with her, and as she often does, she gives me good counsel. She's a, she's a, a good uh, Christian, and I thank the Lord for her. And she said something to me I, I have not forgotten and I probably never will. And I, it happens all the time, not all the time, but often in, my, in the ministry in my Christian life. I was discouraged and I was explaining something to her and I, and I just said how it was, the, the reality of it. And here's what she said. She said, Josh, at some point we are going to have to be content with the fact that God knows. We can't control what other people think what other people do, what they do know, what they don't know. At some point, you're going to have to be content with the fact 
that God knows. Why do you feel, this is what she was saying to me basically, why was I so concerned about other people knowing or finding out? They have to know that. Why? God knows. And I'll tell you, that gave me such peace and comfort. And you must remember that in your Christian life. There's not one thing that you are going through that God is unaware of. And you and I are going to have to get to the place in our lives where we are satisfied and it's okay with us that other people may not know what's going on. Other people I think that I want to know, they may not know, but God knows. God knows. And that matters. And that's why these verses that start with this, verse 9, but thou, verse 10, thou, verse 11, thou, Verse 12, thou. He's not saying, look what the Philistines are doing. Look what the Midianites are doing. Look what the Amalekites are doing. He's not doing that. He's aware that even though things are going really, really bad, God is still the one that's in control. And I know that we live in a day and age, especially the Joel Osteens of our world, where it's always positive, positive, positive. There's never truth. There's never the understanding of sin and the consequences of sin. The psalmist knows that. The psalmist knows what... what uh, 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 Solomon would pray about if we sin, Lord, judge us. That's why, by the way, that's why Elijah prayed that it might not rain. Remember in James, Elijah prayed that it might not rain. Why do you suppose he prayed that it would not rain? Because he knew the promise of God. Second Chronicles 7 was an answer to Solomon's prayer. Lord, if we're in sin, then judge us so that we can repent and be made right. And so if a man is praying, Lord, please stop the rain, give us drought, grab Israel's attention. That's exactly what happened. Israel's attention was grabbed there on Mount Carmel. And then, and this is one of my... You'll, by the way, if you hear me preach any amount of time, which you probably won't, but this is the one time... If you've heard me before, I know this dear, lady, this dear sister has, uh, and she still came tonight, so bless your heart. I have a lot of favorite stories in the Bible. So if when I say this several times throughout the message, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible, then just that, get used to it. That's normal for me, all right? But this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, Mount Carmel. Does anyone remember the story about what happened with Mount Carmel? When Elijah has the, the altar built and they pour the water on it. Now remember, what were they trying to call down from heaven? What were they trying to call down from heaven? Please, not all at once. You're overwhelming me. Fire, right? Let's see whose God can hear. And the prophets of Baal get up there and they're cutting themselves or slashing themselves. Matter of fact, if you look at a lot of contemporary worship, it looks a lot like Baal worship. They think that the more they do, the more activity, uh, the more extreme that it is, maybe that will bring blessing. Maybe that will bring God, God's answer. But it wasn't an extreme e extremity. It wasn't in all the, 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 the wow factor. It was then just one man praying to his God who was a live and living God. And when Baal failed, because Baal doesn't exist, he prayed and God sent fire down from heaven. And it not only consumed the, the sacrifice, it consumed the altar. Everything was gone. But here's the reality. They were having a drought. They didn't need fire. They needed rain. But they couldn't get to the rain until they first saw the fire, the power from God. And does anybody remember what Elijah says after that happens? 
he tells his servant to go look for a cloud because he said, I hear the sound of what? I hear the sound of abundance of rain. And his servant goes and looks, and how many clouds are in the sky? Not one. His servant comes back, and perhaps he's confused, because Elijah has said he hears the sound of rain, but there's no cloud in the sky. And then he goes back up again, and he looks out, and he says, I see one cloud way off on the horizon that looks like a hand. And that's when Elijah tells Ahab, you better get back to the castle or the palace because there's about to be a downpour. But this is what is interesting to me. And this is where faith comes in. It's grace that brought the fire. It's grace that's bringing the rain. But here's the faith. Elijah acted on it. And you ask yourself, if there were no clouds in the sky, what did he hear? The Holy Spirit allowed it to be chronicled what he said, and it was true. He said he heard the sound of abundance of rain. Well, if you read back a few verses, you know what he heard? He heard the children of Israel repenting and praising God. And he knew what God had said, that if his people, which were called by his name, would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then he would what? He would heal their land. He knew that God had promised to stop the rain as judgment, but to bring it back as a mercy for their willingness to make things right. And so Elijah did not, listen, this is so important, Elijah did not need a cloud in the sky or the sound of thunder to know rain was coming. All he needed was to see God's children obeying And he knew God's going to keep his word. Because God keeping his word is more sure than anything else. And so, when we we get into ourselves in the times that we, we, these Joel Osteen-esque type preachers, they have robbed God's children from some wonderful promises. Because it sounds cliche to say, God knows what's going on. Well, he does know what's going on. Matter of fact, he he may have been the one who put that trial in your life. Because he knows you need to trust him more. The Apostle Paul happened to him. He prayed three times that whatever his problem was would go away. What did God say? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take it away. But I'm going to give you grace so that you can endure it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not rescued from the fire. They had to go through the fire. If you or I would have written that story, we would have written it differently. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're obeying God, they're being good testimonies. And right when the king goes to throw them in the fiery furnace, something happens and the fire goes out. No, God wrote it differently. God didn't say, I'm going to save you from the fire. What God said was, I'm going to give you the ability to endure the fire. And what we have to have in our lives is that understanding, is that it's not always going to go the way that we design it. sometimes it is God's will that we go through the trial, that we go through the fire. But here's the blessing. We will go through the fire and through the trial. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You you ever notice that? He he never says we we go into the valley. We go through the valley. Because we always come out on the other side. Why? Because... Faithful is he who called us, who also will do it. He which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
Nothing's going to happen in your life that's going to throw God's work off its purpose. But we forget that sometimes. And we get overwhelmed. But here's what the psalmist said. Lord, I know what you're doing. Whether it's by judgment for sin, whatever it is, you have put us in, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. Verse 14, Thou makest us a, a byword among the heathen, a shaking of thy head, excuse me, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. But look at verse 17. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee. Amen. Yet have we not forgotten thee. Neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. You made us promises and we have not turned on them. Our heart is not turned back. Neither have our steps declined from thy way. Thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death. This is the psalmist who, uh, uh, who knows something about trials, but also knows this, that God is good when times are good and God is still good when times are bad. Because times get bad, God doesn't get bad. God's always good. Always good. And then look at verse 22. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. Do you understand what this means? It means this, that their devotion to God cost them something. Their commitment to Christ cost them something. Or to Jehovah. But our commitment to Christ is going to cost us something. Congratulations, here's another similarity that you have with the children of Israel. God is your king. You have enemies, but you can obey, you can have faith, but also a commitment to God is going to cost you something. Oscar Eliasson, after experiencing a very difficult trial, said this, God specializes in things that are impossible. And would you agree with me that God has a pretty good track record with things that are impossible? Amen? It, it was impossible for a 90-something-year-old woman to have a baby, but she did. It was impossible for the Virgin Mary to have a baby, but she did. It was impossible for Lazarus to walk out of a tomb, but he did. It was impossible for Jesus to walk on water physically, but he did. It was impossible for Jesus to heal a man from leprosy in a moment, but he did. It was impossible for a blind man to be recovered of his sight, but he was. It was impossible for a deaf person to be able to hear, but they did. It was impossible for a mute to talk, but they did. And it was impossible for this sinner to earn grace, but I was given grace. It was impossible for you, if you're saved, to go to heaven, but you are going to heaven. How? The same way the dead was raised and the blind were made to see because of God's marvelous grace. Yes, it's impossible. That's why we need God. I was speaking to a young man who attends Stony Brook University. 
And he was explaining to me about the lunacy of believing in certain things in the Bible. And I said to him, I said, you seem to forget that we are not, as Bible believers, we are not afraid of the word miracle. It's kind of important if you're going to believe the Bible. He was mocking the idea of the resurrection. I said, you're not understanding it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It did happen. Jesus rose from the dead. And the matter of factness at which I said, listen, we don't have to scientifically debate with people. Charles Spurgeon was asked, how do you defend the Bible? And here's what he said. The same way I defend a lion. I just turn it loose and it can take care of itself. But sometimes we forget the power of Scripture. I had to tell that young man the same thing that you've told many other people. At some point, you have to look at the Scriptures as a whole and realize that there's no contradiction, that the prophecies that were made are, are amazing and that they, they cannot be coincidence, that Jesus is who He says He was, and there are things that we accept by faith. Because the one who gave us this book is more trustworthy than anybody else. And I reminded him, by the way, that the degree for which he was working... Every class he was taking, there was something called a textbook. And while he mocked this religious book because it was written by men, I reminded him so were his textbooks. And if he wanted any validity to his diploma, he might want to reconsider his opinion on men writing books. Because when there are important things like the first president of the United States or historical facts, we write them down, right? Because... They're important. And I said, why is it any different with the spiritual things that are important? God wrote them down for us, and that matters. Anyway, back to the message. That was all free, all right? He says this in verse 22, Yea, for thy sake we are killed all thy... It's going to cost us something if we really believe what the psalmist believed here. But this, this principle, through thee will we, by grace, through faith. I know in Romans 6 that there's a, the great truth about that we are not under the law. But here's the reality. You know, I know you know this, you're well taught. But we are still under something. Grace. There still is an authority in our lives. We're not under the law, but we are under grace. Why? To work out, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, what God has worked in. The end of this psalm, Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and oppression? oppression. Verse 23, Awake, so why sleepest thou? We, you, you know, and I know, God doesn't sleep. But would you admit with me, and maybe I'm the only one here, you spiritual, mature saints are probably a lot farther down the road than I am, but there have been times when I've wondered if God saw. There, there are times when I thought for sure God was going to just work the whole thing out and it didn't happen. But the psalmist is not telling us that God sleeps. God is telling us that there are some times when His children think that's what's going on. But here's the good news. We don't have to tell the Lord to wake up. Amen? We're the ones who have to wake up. We're the ones who have to snap out of it and understand the reality. I love how it ends. Arise, for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. 
Mercy is when you do not get what you deserve. And notice, it's different than the word that was used in the beginning. Look at verse, look at verse 3. We're almost done. They got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their uh, own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a, what's that word? A favor unto them. There was a divine favor on the children of Israel. You know what that's called? That's called grace. When we are, when we are given something that we do not deserve, that's grace. When we do not receive what we deserve, that's mercy. That's why verse 26 is a verse written out of humility. The psalmist wasn't asking for more grace. He was asking for mercy. Because he knew what he deserved. He knew what his people deserved. Redeem us for thy mercy's sake. I'm sorry for going through this psalm so quickly. Um, But... I hope you get the, 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 the foundational truth here is this. Is that this psalmist knew something. Through thee, through God, will we. It's always by grace and then by faith. It's our understanding of who God is and what He does and what He's done in the past, what He's doing now, what He will do in the future. But there is faith that must be acted out on our part. Do not believe through thee you will. Believe through God you will do things by faith. And you could leave here and think, this is great. I'm going to go out. We're going to conquer Astoria. We're going to conquer the world. And then Friday morning comes and you feel like you hit a buzzsaw. You've run into a concrete wall. Don't forget the middle of Psalm 44. That's just life. But God knows about it. God's in it. God sees it. He's using it. What your coworker might have meant for evil, God is working for good. That's what he told Joseph. Remember Jacob, Joseph's father, when he wanted to die because God God had forgotten him? God didn't forget him. God was in the middle of saving his family. But he didn't see it yet. But he would. He would. Patience. Patience. And that brings us to the last part of the psalm. When we realize the reality of life, we know what, how powerful God is. We also know how difficult life is. But we also want to be like the end of the psalm where it says, but it doesn't matter. We will not forget our God. We will not forsake Him. We will not turn our backs on Him. We will not give our hearts away. We will continue on. If there's uh, young people here, I don't know if they're all in Heartland or not, but uh, there's one guy right there. Right there. I don't know your name, young man. What's your name? Alfred? I'm sorry? Alfred? All right, very good. I'm sorry I'm picking on you right now, but I don't see any other teenagers here. So it's, 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 all, it's on you. There's a very, are you girls teenagers too? Oh, well, there you go. What's your name? Sarah? Elizabeth? Is that what your name is? Sarah and Elizabeth? All right, you're off the hook, Alfred. You're not the only one here, all right? But here, here's the reality, young ladies. The psalmist did the same thing Daniel did. He purposed in his heart. What he did not do was say, well, Lord, I'm going to do what I want to do. Just please bless it. He didn't do that. And by the way, this is good for us adults too, amen? We're spiritual enough, we're selfish enough to do what we want. We're spiritual enough to ask God to bless it. That's not how it works. 
It's not, we will do what we want, and Lord, you do... No, it's through thee. We acknowledge God first. Daniel purposed in his heart that there were things he wasn't going to do. And I, I praise God for young people like that, who make decisions and purpose, I will do this and I will not do that. Why? Because of the value they know they are because they're God's children. Through thee will we, by grace, through faith, as you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk ye in Him. And then at the end, oh, thank you for this. I'll put that in my Bible. Right? That was very thoughtful of you all. Um, and by the way, it's a good thing you wrote it out before the message, amen? Because if it was after the message, you might take it back. But the end of the psalm comes and it says this, but we realize life is, but we will not forsake the Lord. Lord, give us what we need for mercy's sake. We don't deserve grace. We deserve nothing. Give us mercy. Father in heaven, thank you for the day you've given us, Lord. I appreciate these folks coming out on a Thursday night. I, I